are listening to For the Lore, the podcast that delves into the craft of our favorite games, whether lore, gameplay, or game design. Each week, Roger is joined by Joe, Vince, and Marty. Coming to you on Monday, the 26th of February. It has been a few weeks, but if you follow us on Twitter, you would have seen I would have been bitching periodically about my mixer. And I had problems with the mixer that I use for not just the microphone, but all the inputs and yak, yak, yak. And that's why the last episode sounded like shit. Also because I wasn't there. Uh, Anyways, but problems should be fixed if this episode sounds a little off. Just bear with me while I get adjusted to this new mixer. And with that, let's dive right in. I had some time to finish off Breath of the Wild. I now want to go back to our best of the year episode. (laughs) (laughs) I have some changes to make. Um, Guys, okay, I'm going to be spoiling some things here. So I don't care about anybody listening, but for you guys, yeah. Uh, this game is by far the best in the series. It's just absolutely amazing. Great story throughout. And I, I finished off, I had almost finished off my second divine beast. The last time I I spoke about it. And then I finished that one off and then I quickly finished off the other two because you have to fight four divine beasts and these are these great big they're not mechanical but for the sake of simplicity let's just say mechanical from an ancient race and they're these massive giant creatures that were quote-unquote piloted by these these champions that that well they're all dead um and whatever killed them is kind of still there as well so you have to go in because now these beasts have gone haywire. Instead of helping you take down Ganon, they are just willy-nilly killing anybody. So you got to go into each one and figure out the puzzle for it, which I really fucking dug. Because, again, when you're looking at a, a modern Zelda game, one of the things about Zelda is little puzzles here and there to figure out and just kind of... Just to f- kind of get a grip on okay this is a little different i need to do something else here and this does that in spades it's just so perfectly integrated into the story that it doesn't just feel like a dungeon would in an mmo or something where you just kind of pop in and there's scripted things and all that no you hear you're kind of like you're in the belly of the beast and you got to figure out how to move it to get to different things, how to get to all of the panels to basically jump started back up again and then eventually fighting off the the beasts that are there that have that are mini bosses that are fucking dangerous as hell. And they're the ones that took out the, the ghosts that are there that are kind of helping you of the prior guys. Each of the stories... Because you are integrating with a different race for each, each one presented in this beautiful Miyazaki-inspired kind of fashion, it's just this great story that you're being told. And while I've said time and time again how much I hate the amnesia story elements, 
that trope has had it. And, but I, again, I go back to the same thing where I've said, but it's what you do with it. Well, here's something where it was done well, because as part of getting your memories back, you are in fact going around the countryside and finding these spaces where you can actually see your memories and you're interacting with people and finding out things, but you also get the questing for each of those divine beasts involves a lot of what your interactions as Link would have been and Zelda with that champion or the race. And those are just amazing. Those are so well done. And each of the races is very different, very different. And while there's elements that you can look and see the mirror from our own issues that we have, nothing feels shoved down your throat as a political statement. It's just beautifully done. So when you have a society that's matriarchal to the point of kicking your fucking ass out of their capital, if you dare go in, unless you're in drag, it's, it fits and it's, it's not a statement on anything. It's just, that's what it is there and, and so forth. And the last two that I well, did, Sorry, go ahead. It's not that they're matriarchal. They they don't bear male children ever. Like it's one in a hundred years type thing. Yeah, yeah. No, again, there's no, 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 no. There's (laughs) just, you're making the point. There's that much more to it. I'm skimming the surface here, folks. The the third one I did was the one in, in Goron City. And this was funny because I talked to Joe, I believe I mentioned it in chat, and I talked to Tristan about it too because we're still, he's still playing and we've still been chatting about it. And what was funny is that I had clocked over 240 hours at that point in this game. Admittedly, some of that was AFK and I'm doing something else kind of thing. I'm not saying I was sitting down for all of that, but there was still a lot of fucking time in there. And I still had not even seen Goron City. And that's not a small, well, I mean, it's not like it's massive, but it's a fucking town, a major town for that race. And I hadn't even seen it. Now, yeah, it's because it's a little closer to the heat and I hadn't ventured that way yet. But the fact that I'd seen so much of the city and hadn't seen that is telling. What was even more telling is I hadn't even found the fucking fish people city yet. (laughs) And it has this giant capital building with a fish on it that's like several stories high. I hadn't even fucking seen it. Like, the game, the, the, the world in which you inhabit while you're there is so fucking big. It's so big that, like, again, you can spend so much time doing a lot of other things and not even happen upon these. And then once you're there, then there's questing that you have to do there as well. Not just the the main storyline in which to deal with your, the, your, the prior champion, but also you're dealing with the people and how they have coped since then. And what the beasts are doing, how it, that individual beast is affecting their town now and things like that. And your, your very personal relationship with some of those characters as well, the champion, especially the... Uh, Joe, what's the fish people? Zora. Okay. It, no, no, not her name. No, that is oh, the, Mipha. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So you're 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 finding out some very intimate details and very personal details of his relationship with these people as well. The 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 storyline is fantastic. Like there was one moment at the end of the the battle in Goron City. Uh, uh well not Goron City, but you're on this kind of weird reptilian thing kind of like a salamander thing that's clawing its way around the um mythical salamander is accurate 
Oh, okay, cool. Uh, around a volcano. And so you have like a big heavy suit on and shit and, and uh, you're dealing with the Daruk. And and he's awesome. And the thing too is if you've never played a Zelda game, like these, this race is just your friendliest bro dudes there is. And not to the point of getting on your nerves with bro dudes, but it's just like that, just happy all the time. Genuinely happy about life. And I love that that area because you can chat with anybody and they got a big smile on their face and they're having fun. And you see that as you work with with different ones. And you're working with, correct me if I'm wrong, it's his grandson, right, Joe? He's got, uh, Daruk is his yeah, great-grandfather, I think, something like that. Yeah. Or grandfather. Yeah, so you're working with his, his grandson and he's got uh, a power that he can use that you then get from the champion later on. But anyways, you're on the ship after uh, Unibo helps you for a while, and then you're on the, I shouldn't say ship, but on the, the, the Divine Beast. And then you're working with Darukalot, who is his deceased grandfather. And again, both that big friendly kind of thing. And he helps you, guides you a few things here and there. And then you get some really cool scenes at the end with him as well. And then there's a scene at the end where he looks out over the edge of the Divine Beast. And he's in spirit form. And he looks down and he sees his grandson, who is at the base of the cliff looking up. And it's a touching moment. It's that, well, not father-son, but grandfather and grandson. But now that I'm out of that age, I'm kind of enjoying that too. And it was just touching and beautiful. And there's a pause. And you're expecting that, that kind of really heartfelt, like, Maybe even a tear from one of them. No fucking way. They're like waving and cheerful and all that and just happy that they got to see each other one last time. And it it just was the perfect ending to that chapter. Like I could not have written it better. Joe, this is your chance. If you want a word in edgewise, now's the time. No, go for it, man. I'm just happy that you actually played the game and got through it. Or, you know, like I'm I'm excited that you're finally seeing all the stuff that I've been going on about yeah so. yeah and then you the i won't go into too many details about the uh the fish people but yeah there's there's really cool stuff that happens there as well and then eventually you're going into the um hyrule castle to fight ganon there and and that's a hell of a fight and it takes a while and it's like a major dungeon if you're talking like an mmo this is a fucking like a raid like it's it's you even when you pull up your map, it looks like a raid map and it's showing you where there's different things and whatnot. And you can traverse into a variety of buildings underground all over the fucking place. And it's all been destroyed, but there's elements of what was there before. So you're reading journals, you're seeing things and, and getting a sense of what life was there before this evil entity came about and, and destroyed it. And then you, you have your, your final boss fight there as well. It, it took me a while because I was thinking again in terms of like my favorite game of all time had been Ocarina of Time. And now that so many games have come since, I think I'd have to revisit that. But it doesn't change the fact that this game is miles ahead of Ocarina. And I'm not speaking down of Ocarina by saying that, but rather 
propelling this game up as much as I possibly can. If you haven't played this game, hell, I just saw that it was on sale either yesterday or today, as a matter of fact. This is definitely one that even if you buy it at full price, it is worth it. It is definitely worth it. You will get your money's worth out of it. Yeah, I can't dispute any of that because I've bought it twice now. <laughs> so I, I definitely feel the same way. Yeah, just fantastic. Okay, let's move on from there. Vince, you have been playing the crap out of Monster Hunter World. What do you got to say about it now? I have not been playing Monster Hunter World so much as I have been watching living it. <laughs> uh, in my limited playtime between work schedules and being an adult and sharing the PlayStation, I've already clocked in 70 hours in this game. And... I still haven't even seen everything. I know there's more stuff to do. <laughs> so the game is split up into essentially three sort of uh, brackets. Uh, you have the low rank hunts, which that's the main story of the game uh, of, you know, coming to the island, dealing with the giant lava Godzilla monster and, and all that. And you know, you're progressing, you're unlocking the zones, you're fighting progressively stronger creatures with a hint of a story. I'm not going to say that there's like a deep story to this game. I'm finding out there's actually a lot of deep lore to the series, which I feel uh, this game kind of underserves uh, because it just kind of assumes people know what's going on in like the general world and like what the role is. Like I've learned a lot uh, from watching YouTube videos and like reading posts on Reddit of like makes things make more sense. So I, I wish that this being the introductory monster hunter for a lot of people, I wish they'd kind of reached out a little more and explaining a lot of the backstory going on, but it's a serviceable story as far as here's big monsters, go fight them. Uh, and once you finish that introductory story, you enter the next bracket, which is called the high rank, which has its own story uh, that kind of branches out from the events of uh, the low rank story. And like, I really enjoy that there's actually like the, the good parts of the story that are there really get into the ecology of this world and, you know, how all these different monsters fit in and how you have all these bizarre biospheres and on this one Island, it, it actually works and makes sense. And they did put a lot of thought into it, which I, which I enjoy. So once you get into this high rank mode, essentially all the creatures that you just fought have now leveled up to, you know, meet your new uh, power level and they change a lot of stuff. Uh, they move monsters around to some different zones. Uh, you actually open up a fifth zone and it's just been so engrossing. Like uh, I'm at the point now where I'm finding um, variants on some of the older monsters. Uh, there's a, a creature in the game, the, the Rathian. It's been in Monster Hunter forever and, and most of the other games, if not all of them. And it's your prototypical, you know, wyvern style dragon, you know, flies, breathes fire with the added twist of, oh, it also spews poison out of its tail because why the fuck not? And I came across now that there is a pink version of the Rathian. Is that which, the shit that Alicia was fighting? Probably. Oh, I saw her go batshit crazy 
What <laughs> she's, been fighting, she's been fighting a lot of stuff. <laughs> oh my god! I saw her though in one stream. You'll have to ask her actually. But she was in a stream and she was fighting this red creature, and that name sounds very familiar. Mm-hmm. And it, it was on the stream on my Mac. While I was doing something on the PC, which is right beside, so it's not like I I sat there just watching and watching because it would get boring. I hate to tell you, but as a mm-hmm. just to watch that long, it just kept going and going the same <laughs> fight. And I was talking to Tristan, and he's going, "Yeah, that's Monster Hunter World." I'm going, "Yeah, but she's been at it for like it feels like hours." And then somebody came by and went whack. And killed it for her. And she went, thank you so much. I thought I was going to be for here for eight hours. And I went, eight hours? What the fuck? Well, what's interesting, though, is it's not just a different colored version of the enemy with, you know, you get, you know, different you know, loot out of it. But it's actually a completely different creature. Just shares most of the same model and, and programming structure. But it has different tactics. It has di- different biology. Like, you know, if you take the time to uh, read the uh, the bestiary that they provide you with in the game, like, you know, every monster has its various weak points. And one of the big things in Monster Hunter is chop off the tail. You know, if you chop off the creature's tail, it loses a, a good portion of its offensive abilities, especially with the Rathian, because like I said, it spews poison out of its tail. Well, for most of the creatures, like the Rathian specifically, that means, you know, attacking it at the base of the tail where it connects to the main body. But the pink Rathian being a variant subspecies has different armor. The base of the tail is protected. You have to attack the end of the tail to damage it there. So they're finding ways to keep the combat and the enemies interesting and varied by putting them in different areas, having you run into different opposition on your hunts. (laughs) I'm at the point now in the game where there's this giant dragon called uh, Bezogeis, who (laughs) just... you know, when you go to a zone, you can see which creatures are active in that zone at any given time. Like, you know, there's usually the one you're hunting and two other creatures, you know, large creatures, at least, who are roaming around that you can interact with. Well, Basil just kind of shows the fuck up whenever he wants. <laughs> you'll just be fighting. All of a sudden, you'll hear a loud roar and everything explodes because he drops exploding scales off of his stomach and just constantly comes to fuck you up. I'm actually at the point in the story now, in the high-ranked story, where, uh, you know, they're now targeting the basil guys. But this also goes into, like, what I'm saying about the ecology of the game, because I've been reading, unconfirmed, but a lot of... Uh, I'm losing the word, but uh, empirical evidence to suggest that if you hunt a specific creature enough it'll actually like reduce the frequency of that creature showing up in the game. Like there's an ecology again here that's active in the game. That's it. It's, it blows me away because you spend so much time in this world, so much time in this game. And at least for me, again, after 70 hours, it has not even come close to become boring yet. Like with a game like Diablo, you know, you always reach that point where you're like, okay, you know, I've got this cool stuff. I've got these cool abilities. Well, now I need, you know, X item and it just becomes a grind until you randomly get X item and Monster Hunter has that to an extent of like um, what was it I have my my charm on my character so uh, (laughs) I picked up a new weapon since last we talked about this game called the gun lance it's the greatest fucking thing like it's 
it, it's really clicked with me from a gameplay standpoint because it has this giant shield, so it's a very defensive weapon. So I stand in front of the monster and let it just rend away at the shield, tooth and claw and smash. And I just take my little lance and in between its attacks, I just poke it, poke it in the face, keep poking it in the face. But like I said, it's a gun lance. So I poke it in the face and it's a fucking cannon. So I can shoot shells out of the end of the spear into the monsters. It's ridiculously fun, very satisfying. So, uh, you know, with all the armor, like the stats on the armor, especially once you get to the high rank portion, aren't that important. Uh, it's more about the skills, the passive abilities that the armors give you, much like, you know, Diablo and similar games. So uh, an important skill for me is artillery. It increases the damage of my cannon shots and like lowers my cooldown on my big uber flamethrower attack, because that's a thing. So I have a charm that gives me passively one level of artillery. And I could finally get to the point where I could upgrade it to give me a second level of artillery, thus freeing up another slot on my armor for other stuff. But in order to do this, I needed a specific gem that you can only get off of one creature. So I did have to target and fight this creature. I think it was five or six times before I got the gem, which by some standards is either poor luck because some people get it on their first drop or really good luck because some people have farmed these guys for ages. But even though I was re repeating fights against the same creature, every fight was unique because of, like I said, the, the random encounters you can come across the way they just wander throughout the zones. You're not always going to be fighting it in the exact same environments. Sometimes you can jump off trees. Sometimes you got to squeeze through tunnels. And adding in the multiplayer aspect of if I'm, you know, on a hunt for a specific monster, I can just shoot off an SOS flare into the sky and other people playing the game and then hop into my quest and help me out. So with the variety of different weapons that are available, it's when you're doing multiplayer gameplay, it's so much more dynamic and interesting because like, okay, I got a bow user. I should stay between the enemy and the bow user so I can protect them or stuff like, all right, there's a hammer user in this game. So I need to move around to the enemy's flank so that the hammer can smash it in the head. Not, we're not interfering with each other. Hey, it's let me ask you this before you move yes. on. Um, so when you're playing, you've, you've taken this creature down obviously a number of times, like you said. So, mm -hmm. um, when you're looking at in terms of solo versus with a group, how long is it taking for each for you to take it down? Uh, it varies from creature to creature. Uh, typically, the multiplayer fights tend to go faster just because uh, you have, you know, status effects. You're, you're able to stagger the enemies easier and then move in with your big damage combos. But at, at least for, again, my weapons, it's so defensive for certain fights where I know there's like complicated mechanics or like AOE damage and stuff. I know I can confidently go in there solo, uh, specifically for that one I was just telling you about. Uh, as you continue to hunt creatures and like gather information, you can actually earn what's called investigations, which are you know targeted quests for that creature with restrictions on them, but then countered with uh, getting better rewards. So like, I knew like my best shot of getting this gem I need is by doing an investigation with a high tier reward. But the counter to that is it's probably going to be a more difficult quest. Like I'm going to be limited on the amount of times I can faint or stuff like that. I finally got an investigation for this creature and it was a 15 minute time limit. Most hunts in this game go, you know, 20 minutes or so. So it again, it spiced up the gameplay because I knew like I can't fight this guy like I normally would. So I just had to go in there and start playing more aggressively. 
uh, taking some chances. It was so much fun. Like I was sweating. Like I finished the fight in 13 minutes and 46 seconds. Nice. And I got the gem. So like I was super happy. See, that's not bad. See, those kind of fights where you're looking at 15 minutes to a half hour, that's reasonable. Mm-hmm. But it's the ones that take hours. To me, that's no longer reasonable. There's, there's nothing in that game that takes hours. There, There is no hunt in that game. Like, physically, within the programming of the structure of that game, nothing can go longer than 50 minutes. The longest missions in the games are limited to 50 minutes. What the hell was she hunting then? Well, is she, you know, if, if you're fighting something you're not familiar with and, you know, it probably would have taken her eight hours to kill it. You know, I'm sure there was some hyperbole involved there, but also oh, it would have run off before. From Allie? How dare you? <laughs> How dare you, good sir? And, and like I said, it never feels like grinding because even if you're, like I said, targeting that one specific enemy you're still getting other stuff as you're doing it. You're getting new, uh, picking up, you know, herbs and mining nodes and bones and getting other pieces that are allowing you to progress and grow your characters in other ways. So even if you can't get that one item you desperately need through your time and effort, you're still getting better in other ways. And knowing that I still have, like, I just got to a point where like I unlocked the fifth zone and I, my quest log is now loaded with optional quests to fight all these new creatures. And it's it, the game just opened up for me again, like like it did 50 hours ago <laughs> with all this stuff I could do. Like, I'm having so much fun of figuring out, like, what the best armor combination is. Like, I have got an arsenal of gun lances, of uh, various elements and status effects because you really want to target enemies' weaknesses. So it's like, okay... I need to go hunt this specific monster for this quest. Well, what can I do to make that hunt easier? You know, check my beast, Jerry. Okay, he's weak to lightning damage. What's the best lightning weapon I have? Okay, this is a good lightning weapon, but I can upgrade it. In order to do that, though, I've got to go kill the electric ferret. So let me go kill the electric ferret a couple times, upgrade wait, my wait, lightning weapon. Electric ferret? Hold the fucking phone. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> wait a minute, wait a minute. You play Pokemon on an electric ferret because you pause. All right. Uh, carry on. So I go hunt the electric ferret. I can now upgrade my pulsar gun lance to a Kadachi striker. Deals way more lightning damage. It's just better overall. And now I can go hunt this other creature more effectively. So for essentially one quest, I had an hour of gameplay of just getting there and that's that's what i'm realizing and that's what a lot of other people who are new to the franchise are starting to realize that's the fun of monster hunter yes the hunting is fun but preparing yourself and building yourself up and going into that hunt as strong as you can be is really what drives the the gameplay and keeps keeps things moving keeps you going back to doing older content which is great for playing with other players you know helping your friends catch up meeting random people online I I can't see a point where I'm going to stop playing this game. And they they've already started talking about uh new content. Great thing about Monster Hunter World. There's all kinds of shit you can buy like with actual money, like extra gestures, extra cosmetic stuff. Uh they recently started the Street Fighter crossover. So built into the game you can get the uh a Ryu outfit for your character yeah, where it's, it's literally Ryu. Like it's not your character dressed as Ryu. It's no, actually Ryu. Ryu. I've seen uh, people killing monsters with like the fucking dragon upper punch. Uppercut. And that's the thing. Like you can buy for a couple of bucks the ability for your character as 
a, a, a cosmetic gesture that deals an insignificant amount of damage to do a Shoryuken or a Hadouken. And of course, people have gone, well, if the Hadouken does damage, might not do much damage, but it does damage. We kill something with it, and God damn it, they did. <laughs> it was awesome. So they, they're monetizing the game in ways I have no issues with because they've said any new areas, any new creatures, anything they're adding to this game from a gameplay standpoint is 100% free. They said there's a, there's a new creature coming, the Devil Joe, which is like one of the badass creatures from like, I think Monster Hunter 3 or Monster Hunter 4. They're bringing it into this game. They're setting it loose in this <laughs> in this environment that they've set up. Free DLC. So bring it on. I am going to play this game for the rest of my life. Right. Can you hunt Braca? Can I help what? Can you hunt Braca from Street Fighter? Like, that's what I would like to uh, do. Do you mean Blanca? Blanca, whatever. <laughs> It's been 20 years, 30 years. Not for it. these you, guys, you Marty. You totally just mixed Baraka yeah. from fucking Mortal Kombat and Blah. Oh, you goddamn plebe. You know, oh, I would love that DLC to put like skins on the creatures. That would be brilliant. Marty, make it happen. Oh, all right. <laughs> all right, let's move on from there. Joe, you want to talk about Overwatch, which was a little surprising to me. Are you back in? No, I'm not really playing the game. Just uh, lore. It's more the lore, because, again, the story of the world is still something I enjoy. And, yeah. well, in this particular case, I don't have to play the game to get the story. <laughs> <laughs> um, but this one, actually, I thought was kind of cool and nifty because it's an explanation to something that has been in-game and in cinematics already. Um, so it's a letter from Torbjorn as he... What happens when Zenyatta walks? That's a whole other story, then. <laughs> But Tor Torbjorn has been gravely injured and Reinhardt actually saved him. And so there's a letter from him to his wife, Ingrid, um, where he's basically saying, you know, it, it looks really bad. And I'm sure everything they're telling you that it's terrible and the description is awful. But I've been assured that I'm going to make a full recovery. Now, there's some other little tidbits in here, too, that I thought were really kind of nifty. Like he's talking about. Angela, so this is Mercy, uh, Dr. Ziegler, talking about her dreams of having tissue regeneration being a reality. Well, I have a feeling that that's a reference to the project that she was working on that may have accidentally caused Reaper. Throwing that out there. Yeah. But they're, they're also saying that in here that, you know, this is when Torbjorn's wife is pregnant and getting ready to have another child. And how he may have accidentally promised Reinhardt that he could name the child. And then he, as he's talking through the letter, he's like, he hasn't told me what the name is, but he, you know, he hasn't left my bedside and everything's, he, we're going to find out. But I told him the caveat is, if you don't approve, it doesn't happen. And then he says, but truth be told, I'm actually thinking about making her or him her godfather. This is a reference to Brigitte Lindholm, who in the Crusader short and in a couple of the other shorts that involve Reinhardt, you see a tall brunette woman with a cog tattoo on her shoulder, just like her dad, uh, who is the personal armor smith. She is the squire to Reinhardt, and it is absolutely Brigitte Lindholm. It is Torbjorn's daughter, and it is, you know, Reinhardt's goddaughter. It is... It's an interesting little thing because now the speculation is that she's going to be the next playable character, which people have been asking for yeah. for a while. 
Yeah, no kidding. And that said, it was it was a well written letter too. Like it, the the writing on it wasn't terrible. Like it's it was enjoyable to read through, and it felt almost like natural. And I, I was kind of okay with it. I liked it. I did. I, I liked it a lot. And it was it was the explanation of how he lost his arm too. Everybody in this yep. fucking game loses an arm at some point. <laughs> Jesus, a whole bunch of them have got cybernetic arms. But uh, no, Fucking I really liked it. Yeah, but uh, no, I liked it. It was it was it was nice because you had that that feeling of someone writing their wife, but still being proper about it to a certain degree. And it was awesome. I I, I enjoyed it. Okay, moving on from there, Marty. I don't know if. You were even aware of this game before I made you watch it, if you looked into it more. But we had discussed it prior because this was announced when? At uh, E3, was it last year or when was it? Biomutant. I think it was E3 last year. So what did you think about it? Or did you even know about this game beforehand? So I've seen ads for this. And the game that we're talking about is Biomutant. Um, And I've seen ads, but I'm pretty much like, I don't know. How do I put this? I've been betrayed by so-called open world games before with karma based uh, character progression uh, with variable endings. I'm looking straight at you, Bioware. Um, and uh, the I, so I watched all the videos that you linked. I've done some research and watched like Xbox and PS4 playthroughs of the special alpha build that is going on. I have to say, it looks pretty neat. So the basic idea is there is this tree of life that is dying and you are going to go save it one way or the other, whether it wants to be saved or not. Um, And you can be a big goddamn hero or a big goddamn, you know, uh, dictator, uh, slaughtering dudes. Uh, It's interesting what this game is. So you've got you can. customize your characters who can look just like rocket raccoon or like a one-eyed cat. And one of the developers was saying that the eye patch actually has a role to play in the story. (laughs) Of course it does. (laughs) It's gigantic four by four kilometers. And that's just the ground level, not counting dungeons and secret discovery areas, which are not, you know, hidden places because you're going to find them. Uh, it's got a Asian fables, Kung Fu movie kind of feel. Uh, there's some interesting like comic elements sometimes from the gameplay when you would make a particularly good hit, maybe on crits, you'd get like a thwap or a boom kind of come off from the, uh, the bad guy you were hitting. Um, and uh, it's supposed to be like character centric. You will meet interesting and crazy uh, tunes. Like there's one guy that looked like uh there's a mole in a wheelchair that you save in one part of the demo. And then there was, uh, I think it was a chicken, uh, but I can't remember exactly, but there's another mad scientist chicken who is going to make you like an airship or something. It looks fun. It looks like it's going to like truly uh, tax or be like a very powerful game. That's going to yeah. tax the systems. Right. Uh, coming up for Xbox One, PS4, and well, on PC with Steam. Uh, what had me most interested, um, because I've been burned on the open world and the karma-based variable ending, uh, the world tree stuff is interesting. But what really got me was the developer, it was Experiment 101, that got bought out by Nordic THQ. 
and they are calling it experiment 101 because uh their development process removed like directors and uh agents like storytelling agents from the game and just made the developers do everything when it comes to the game so that they could iterate faster and tell the story that they wanted to tell uh and be experimental with it but some of the superpowers you're going to get for your mutant character includes moth mouth which is the ability to burp moths and distract things <laughs> um there's it, it's it's got a little like I can't help but look at it and like the default character looks a little bit like a a, a bogarted rocket raccoon, but I don't necessarily have a problem with that. I just I've been burned on these open world games before. Oh, come and- on, you keep saying about that, but you've been burned by which game? A couple of Mass Effects, certainly not all of them. No, Andromeda though that was a third degree burn like that I have yet to recover from. And you know what? I got to be honest. I got bored with Fallout 3 and with Fallout 4. Like, both were just like... You're uh, fucking fired. Fallout 4? Podcast? Hey, <laughs> listen, some of us, uh, it was, bo- it, like, eh, didn't do anything for me. Some people love the also world suffer Fallout. from... They also, I mean, Marty strikes me as a person that's... What the hell is the name of it when you're presented with too many options? Choice paralysis. And so, like, I feel it kind of maybe makes Marty lose interest in it. So I'm not going to yell at him because that's no, no, he's thing. absolutely entitled to be wrong. I, I'm not going to debate that. Uh, I, I don't, I don't typically get choice paralysis. It was just like, it, it did, didn't speak to me. Maybe new Vegas would, but I love the idea of fallout more than I actually liked playing fallout. It became a chore after a while, but this game looks fun and I'm going to consider picking it up uh, just because I think it's, the idea of constantly mutating and changing and growing your character uh, looks interesting to me. And that's something that could actually work out. I know I'm waiting for you guys to like, you know, recover from the fact that I didn't really care for fallout. Eh. All right, moving on. Joe, (laughs) I think we found out about this Where the Water Tastes Like Wine game at the same time. (laughs) Probably. And me, it wasn't because of Sissy. I'd heard about it because Sting was going to be on it. So I'd read about that. I was like, what the fuck? Sting's going to be in a game? And then I read Sissy's comments about it. So why don't you go ahead with it? Sure. So this is a game based off of essentially what is the oral tradition of a land growing up, in this case, America. And it is a narrative adventure game about traveling, sharing stories, and surviving sort of what is manifest destiny, the nature of the country unfolding before you as you travel. It has hand-drawn illustrations, uh, and it combines elements of 2D and 3D, where it has like this sort of pseudo-cell-shaded 3D overworld where you're like a traveling skeleton man type thing. And you basically wander across the depression area United States at your own pace. There, there's no mechanics that force you to go at any certain speed and you meet with strangers and you listen to their stories and you interact with them and you play essentially through the telling of their story and you're collecting those stories and those stories can then be retold and those retold stories unlock more interactions. It's really, really cool because in this particular game, Lore is acting as a currency. That's how you progress through the game. You don't farm coins. You don't need Dosh or anything like that. 
it's sort of you collecting this oral tradition of the people around you as you travel. And that's, that's your coin to pay for things. And in one of the trailers, there's a whole scene of people like coming to the table and like playing poker and they're telling their stories. And then essentially like, it's almost like a, a token of blood as one of the, one of the characters gives the other one. And then a anthropomorphic, anthropomorphic wolf man type thing informs him that you're mine and you're going to be doing my bidding. And it's, it's, it's got that weird old timey feel. It's got that, that sort of brother where art thou era sort of vibe going for it. And I really friggin' love it. I love so, the mechanic of putting together a, uh, what amounts to like a visual novel of short stories, but presented in a way that they're all bound together in a way while still being individual also it's like the other stuff is all just icing on the cake but just that mechanic of doing something like that is something that i thought about doing it's just it's an interesting mechanic of tying together short stories and i love that 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 idea of the the not lore but the the storytellers were the ones that were sought after because you know that that's what everything else can go in the world but you need stories to keep you going. So I, I dig that so much. When I read more about this this game, it was one of those few games where I'm like, yeah, I'm getting that right away. So the art style for some of the cards, for the tarot looking like cards, like remind me of uh, Mike Mignola and some of the other pictures yes. are very Amarillos. Uh, it's a really diverse style. And the artist is a guy named Kellen Jett. It looks, I think it's a guy. Well, maybe it's a little... It's a person named Kellen Jett. Let me be fair here. Uh, it looks pretty awesome. Uh, it's definitely an art style that I haven't seen in a video game in a very long time. It's much more comic book looking than and comic book in the sense of like indie books, not yeah. big two. And accompanying all the story and the art are also going to be a very period appropriate soundtrack as well. Uh, which I think is going to be pretty cool. Uh, apparently, it's going to be from a collection of artists, not just one person, uh, which is really, really nice because that fits that sort of style that they're going for with the storytelling because music was another thing that was, during that time frame, yeah. different depending on where you went and was also used for storytelling. So it, it kind of fits that you would have different artists doing that, which I think is really, really cool. So I'm looking forward to that. When's the uh, release date for that? February 28th. And it uh, looks like the soundtrack, or at least some of them, are already available on SoundCloud. At least the first three uh, three tracks of it are. Awesome. Okay, let's move on to uh, Nino Kuni 2. This actually just came out. They were giving more information because the game is right around the corner now. And it was funny because I was watching the video and I was thinking when part of the video came up there, and you'll get into it in a moment, Vince, when you're working with your, your, your new followers, call them what you will. And I was thinking, my first thought was, I'm not sure if that'll work. But then you watch more. I was like, oh, yeah, that works. Oh, that's fucking awesome. Oh, Christ, this is awesome. <laughs> and it just, I liked what I saw. Uh, I'm kind of a mixed mind here. Really? I, I I just think they're doing a little too much. And my worry is that the game is going to lose focus from the character centric story that made the first. One oh so yeah, powerful. definitely. But, but see, I, accept, to say I it's accept not going that. to be fun. 
Yeah, I accept that this is not going to be the first game. Like, again, just the combat system alone is reason for me to go, yeah, that's not going to be the same. So this is just about, okay, well, what are you doing that's cool then? And then as you're finding out more about this, it's like, yeah, it's cool. I like the way it's done. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so the game has, air quotes, gone gold, which means literally nothing in today's day and age. But they're done with the game. But we know there's going to be patches and updates and who knows what coming up. But, yeah, it comes out March 23rd. uh, You know, mainline development is done. (laughs) (laughs) And so they put out a a nice behind-the-scenes video showing a lot of new stuff that we didn't know was in this game. Uh, Starting off with uh, the Higgledies, you know, the little uh, Peekman-looking guys that are are the core gameplay mechanic in this game. Uh, And, you know, not much specifically with them, but finding out there's Higgledy heroes. You know, upgraded versions of the Higgledies with their own personalities, Awesome little costumes. I want the pirate Higgledy so bad. <laughs> uh, but, uh, you know, it lends itself back to kind of that Pokemon style formula from the first game of, you know, you gotta find these guys, you got to recruit them. They're going to give you access to new abilities and new, you know, unlock new parts of the world and all kinds of fun stuff. So I'm like, okay, that's bringing things back to some of the stuff that we liked about the original game. And it was one of those things like when we were watching the new trailers and I was like, I think there's more than three characters in this game. I've come to find out there's, a, you know, six main characters that you can cycle through in your party. We still don't know exactly you know which six characters are going to be aside from the main three that they've already announced. But nice to know there's going to be a lot of uh, ability to mix and match your parties. That That's nice. And then they get into all this crazy, like, strategy game stuff. <laughs> With the the whole concept of this game is that Evan has to reclaim his birthright as king. And as part of that, kind of has to rebuild the kingdom. So you get this little town slash fortress area that as you progress through the game, you can, you know, build up your own, uh, you know, new capital to your kingdom that you know is going to give you access to shops and vendors and uh, schools that'll teach you new magic, uh, engineering shops that you can build an airship that you're going to need. But it's not just, okay, you know, here's a town. Uh, you actually have to go out into the world, interact with the characters, recruit the people that you know, are going to uh, be part of your town. Yeah, you want the blacksmith? Well, you got to go find a fucking blacksmith. You can't just hand any asshole a hammer and expect him to make a sword for you. I like that. It's... It's building on the concept of the game. It's it's a gameplay mechanic that reinforces the story they're trying to tell. This isn't uh, like Assassin's Creed, where it's just like, okay, we did the whole rebuilding the assassins thing. So now we're just going to repeat that without the narrative weight behind it, because it was a fun gameplay thing. So in this game, it's melding gameplay with narrative, which I always enjoy. And that even grows with now that they're showing off skirmish mode which is this giant like i don't want to say war but battlefield simulator where you choose this is the good that my, my my finger was off the the, the mute button because you said this is and i went awesome <laughs> <laughs> where you take all of the work you've done and the characters you've recruited and the higgledies and higgledy heroes and all this and that and you just go out to the battlefield and have to fight off armies. Like, it's not a direction I was expecting this game to go, but you see it in action. It's 
it's very streamlined and simple from what I've seen. I'm sure there's going to be layers of depth to the strategy. But this is where I got a little iffy just because it seemed like a step too far. But oh, hell no. I'm of such a mixed mind. It doesn't really matter because I know I'm not going to be able to afford the game when it comes out. There's been a lot of expenses so far this year, and it actually comes out uh, the week I'm going to Florida for my brother's wedding. So <laughs> it'll be a while before I get to play it. So I'm going to see you know some better impressions than this short little video. I like that it has a lot of potential. I like that it's doing interesting things. I just hope it's going to do enough of that to satisfy me personally with the game. Oh, yeah. And again, if I was going into this expecting a true successor to the first one, that I would be like, well, this is stupid. But I, that ship has sailed a long time ago. So all I want now is just something that's fun, that has elements of the first one, but certainly not a true successor in my mind. But that doesn't mean it'll be bad. It could still be great and not be a true successor. So it's just I everything I saw here, like you said, it fit the narrative. Rebuilding your kingdom makes fucking sense that you do that. Going out finding people makes sense. Everything just kind of worked in. It's not huge, like, story elements, but it's it's lore, and it's inhabiting that world. So I, I was all in. And those fights, at that point, again, because I'm of that mind, I saw those fights, I was like, that is fucking awesome. That's going to be so much fun. I'm trying not to seem down because I'm not. It's just so far from what I expected. I'm still kind of having trouble grasping it. it. Not to say it's going to be bad. Not to say I'm not going to like it. It's just so out of left field from what I was expecting for this game. It's like I'm trying to balance the this is cool and fun with the where did this come from? So I, I'm sure we'll talk about it more once the game comes out. I'm sure we'll both be playing it at some point. Yeah. <laughs> But I, I like a lot of the stuff they're doing. Also, how much is this going to distract from, you know, the actual story part of the game? Like, am I going to spend three hours building my town and then go on a 20 minute quest? I don't know. I doubt it. But this is a lot of development time that they've dedicated to this stuff as well. Yeah, definitely. OK, before we head out, Marty, did you pick up the Apocalypse DLC for uh, Solaris? I'm assuming. Yes. Oh, I totally did. And I have yet to play it really? uh, because... Well, it was, I had a, my niece's birthday and I had to go to a rally for, to save my job and a whole bunch of other stuff. <laughs> Alrighty then. So, all right, forget it. Then. I plan on talking about it next week. Uh, I, I'm itching to play. It's just, you know, no time. Yeah. Being I, an adult sucks. I bought it for uh, both Tristan and I. So he bounced in and he played for a while and he said the same thing. Every time he comes down, we talk about it, he's going, it's hard. There's a lot going on in this game to do and everything else. And there's really not a fantastic tutorial or in-game tutorial even to, to teach you what to do. You're basically figuring well, it out. Yeah, you, it's all figuring out yourself and so many choices and they all lead to getting eaten by fucking space zombies. We're going to love a it. Multiplayer game someday and I'm going to beat your ass. <laughs> You'll be the Federation. I'll be the fucking Klingons. Just stomp on you. <laughs> I'm I'm down. I'll, I will play this game and go on for as long as we need to to raise money for whatever charity that Joe pick Joe or, or, or Vince picks for us to charity for. Before. Okay. All right. Anyways, that is going to wrap it up for tonight. Thank you very much for joining us. You can find the show notes at forthelore.com. You can find us. 
On Twitter, at For the Lore, individually, Joe is loaders at J. Vincent Simodian, Marty is Officer Gleason, and I'm Zen Buddhist. You can leave us your thoughts on iTunes and Stitcher, and with that, we will talk to you guys next week. desolate land ravaged by ancient war, you are the Harbinger, an outcast with the ability to manipulate and command nanites from the ash, leftover power manifesting itself in your barren world's atmosphere. Ancient warrior machines spawn from golem gates, while an unseen force compels you to take up arms. Wielding the power hidden within the ash, you'll battle the golems and unravel the mysteries surrounding their long-lost creators. And under the guidance of the Archive, the Arbinger journeys deeper into his forsaken world in search of an artifact that could put a stop to the corrupting force known as the Unbound. And a powerful new enemy awaits him, Tetra. Now, if after hearing that you're thinking, well, that sounds fairly generic as a story premise, you wouldn't be wrong. I won't lie and say the game's story is a strong suit. Instead, what Gollum Gates brings to the table is a fun game that in what is becoming commonplace, blends various genres in order to create a unique space in an otherwise crowded genre. Golem Gates is a blend of real-time strategy, MOBA, and even collectible card games. A lot of games are jumping on the cards bandwagon, and while I do love CCGs, the problem is that many devs are now using cards as a more palatable loot box. They are exactly the same. Only one contains random cards, or in the case of Golem Gates, glyphs for your virtual deck, while loot boxes in other games can contain anything from outfits to extra followers to power-ups of various sorts and shapes. Unfortunately, the industry's reliance on loot boxes and pie extension cards has become, without using a terrible cliche, a game-changer. Some games become gated behind a paywall, and the frustration this causes is often enough for most folks to simply uninstall the game. As it stands with Golem Gates, because it's still in early access and there doesn't yet appear to be a shop, I can't say whether that'll be the case with this as well. For now, we get Book 2 in the campaign, which was just released with five new story missions. In the first chapter, you're guided through being a harbinger, and you're introduced to Golem Gates, which you must destroy. And Book 2 sees you inching further into enemy territory with a few surprise encounters. Because the game is in early access and there's so little to go off of in terms of the story, I'm forced to look at the game in terms of expectations based on what little we do have. And that's both good and bad. Golem Gates is being worked on by Laser Guided Games and Hollow Earth. Between the two, they've worked on franchises like Gears of War and Unreal Tournament, as well as concept design for films like The Avengers, Spider-Man Homecoming, Iron Man, Black Panther, and the upcoming Avengers Infinity War. That said, they also worked on the Transformers movies, so take from that what you will. Without question, Golem Gates is a gorgeous game. The UI system is slick and the character designs are fantastic. Your Arbinger front and center cuts an imposing figure, and it's clearly alien in design, but not so much to be unfamiliar. 
I will say, however, that in-game is a different matter. Don't get me wrong, it still looks great. However, the cloud of fog that you have to clear, as is normal in RTSs and mobile games, is quite dark. I realize they're going for atmospheric here in a dark sci-fi fantasy post-apocalyptic setting. However, it comes off as kind of muddy with an odd interlaced overlay that actually takes away from the game's aesthetics in my opinion because if you've got the graphics cranked the game assets actually look spectacular there's going to be three parts to the campaign and with the release date of march 20th of this year it it will be fun to see where the story goes i'm not crazy about having a large sphere telling me what to do yes i'm looking right at you destiny however letting go of that I do love how the glyphs impact your gameplay. Much like any TCG, it inserts random chance, something which is not typical in an RTS or MOBA, which rely far more on skill and teamwork. As it stands now, you've got your troops, healing and offensive turrets, as well as abilities to DPS, pacify or embiggen your troops. During one of my matches, I was careless and decided to rush without using any strategy, and I got my ass handed to me, eventually losing. Winning a match lands you a loot prize, essentially more glyphs to use in your deck. And as an example, winning a match gave me a Spider King glyph, which is a hero card that has a ranged DPS, poison, and a reanimate skill. Now, a quick pop into the archives, which is essentially the deck manager and apparently the weird spear thing that's telling you what to... Listen, it's weird and doesn't exactly make sense, so just bear with me. This is where you create your new decks and edit your existing decks as well using those glyphs, which are either units or structures, traps or, or tech. And here you can also access the Ford, which appears to allow you to create various glyphs using their currency. But again, that's not all very clear yet in early access. In addition to the campaign, there's also trial challenges, survival matches, which you can either find or create, as well as versus mode against either the AI or other wannabe harbingers. There's a surprising amount of fun to be had in this game, and for 20 bucks, it's really hard to go wrong. And as a whole, it's fairly solid. I would like further control options added over time, and they may yet, and I'm curious where the story will go, though I'm not expecting many surprises. But as you can hear, my gripes are pretty minor. I don't expect the game to make it big on the esports scene, however, those who pick it up, especially those of us playing with friends and family, will have quite a few hours of fun, and thanks to that bastard RNG, even unskilled players have a chance. Thank you for listening to For The Lore. If you'd like to hear more from the guys, check out Popcorn Ronin with Roger and Vince, a movie, TV, and anime podcast, as well as Lore Watch, a Blizzard lore podcast co-starring Joe. And if you're into comic books, check out All Comics Considered with Marty and his crew. 
Lastly, thanks to Manelli Jamal for the show's theme music. You can find him at ManelliJamal.com as well as on iTunes and help support this incredible musician by picking up his CDs.